0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio.
2: Morning. You're listening to Dirt Radio on 3CR Community Radio, eight five five AM on your radio dial. This show is sponsored by Friends of the Earth and broadcasts from Nam in the Kulin Nations, also known as Melbourne, Victoria, where sovereignty was never ceded. I'm your host this morning, Emma Watson, and this week we're talking about all creatures, great and small, with whom we share the planet, because this coming Friday is National Threatened Species Day. And it was on this date, September 7th, 1936, that the last known thylacine died in Bomara Sioux in Hobart. 82 years on, this date is a national day of reflection on the plight of Australian threatened species, but also it's a date to celebrate the work of threatened species recovery. And um, without some kind of intervention... 21 local species could disappear within the next decade in southeastern Australia. These species are on the brink of extinction due to a range of threats. But one very real threat is the sheer fact that most of us don't even know these species exist, let alone how to prevent their final demise. So with me in the studio this morning to shine the spotlight on one of these lesser-known species is Dr Terry Mulhern. He's the Director of Teaching and Learning at the... Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at Melbourne University. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for spending some time with us.
1: Good morning, Emma. Thanks for having me on.
2: It's a pleasure. So firstly, you've been doing uh, some research into the identity of the largest freshwater invertebrate in the world, Tasmania's giant freshwater crayfish, and sometimes you hear it referred to as a lobster. Can you paint a a picture of uh, what what this creature looks
1: like? Well, if you imagine, um, I guess, a yabby, but a yabby on steroids, this is a huge animal. Um, it's uh, In historical records, we've heard of um, lobsters uh, getting up to sort of 80, 90 centimetres long, mm. up to five or six kilos, so a huge animal. These days, it's pretty rare to find them bigger than about two to three kilos and, and sort of 50, 60 centimetres, but still, that's a, a massive crayfish. I mean, yeah, it just, the yabby pales into insignificance Yeah
2: <laughs> And there's, there's something unique about the colour of this crayfish In some rivers where it's found as well
1: Yeah, it's largely um, black and, and dark green But with amazing flashes of this sort of cyan blue um, And orange as well It's, it's, mm. it's quite spectacular um, When you see some of these amazing colours on these animals
2: mm. Um, yeah, so quite uh, diverse colouring. Mm. Um, I guess it depends on which river they live in as well.
1: It does. It depends on the river um, and, and sort of the, uh, the acidity of the water and the tannins and what they've been eating and things like that. And after breeding, they change their colour too. The shell changes changes colour. Yeah. Um, yes. And the ones that are that are this bright blue are really quite spectacular. Yeah. Um, and that's common over in the Sumac River is well, known for its sort of bluey-purple um, mm. lobsters.
2: Okay. Wow. Wow. Um, so you've been on quite a bit of a journey sort of researching this unusual creature. Um, what started you asking questions about this particular species in the first place?
1: Well, I, I've been going to Tasmania for, for many, many years. I'm, I'm not a Tasmanian, but I've been going there for many years, and I, I spend every summer over there with my family. We, we camp and fish and, and do all those sort of things. And um, just talking to locals, and, and I'd heard about this animal when I was a kid years and years ago. Um, but just because of, you know, spending so much time there, I got really interested in in the ecology of the animal, and I love the rivers, and I spend a lot of time, you know, in 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 and out of the of the rivers, and um, yeah, so just got got interested, start asking questions about this animal. First one I asked was, well, you know, it's it's got its scientific name, Astacopsis Gouldi, mm. and it's also known, you know, in the vernacular as the lobster. But I thought, well, it already had a name before we started putting white names on it. And so I got interested in doing that, and, and started talking with people at the uh, Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre about what is the what is the name for this animal?
2: Yeah, and um, so so what what were those names?
1: Well, there's I I'd, I'd been looking on online and in various literature, and it was referred to as Tiatia, and that's that's used in government documents and museum. Um, information and even place names in Tasmania. And when I asked the, the TAC, um, Annie Reynolds at the uh, Palawakani Language Program, and I said, Oh, I'm d- doing some research on this, can I use the name? And she said, Sure, you can use the name, but that's not actually the name. Mm. Um, so that's a southern, that's a name for a much smaller southern species of crayfish. These um, giant um, crayfish mm-hmm. live in the northern rivers of Tasmania. Um so she said she she told me about the name it's uh Lutera Lipina is is the name that's
2: Lutera Lipina. That's right. A okay. uh,
1: bit bit hard to get your tongue around first first go but you've done very well. <laughs> um and yeah so that's a name that's um derived from records of language from the the northeast of Tasmania around the Cape Portland area.
2: Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um so sort of discovering the name of the species and its origin. I guess it's you know um, relates back to its identity and its place in the ecosystem, which you know, intersects with the the cultural knowledge and understanding of. Absolutely, of it.
1: I think that's something that we forget about. That um, you know, we, white people come and discover things all the time, um, mm. especially back in that colonial period. But you know, these had animals had names. They had a place in in culture and law. Um, unfortunately, because of the the, the, the genocide in Tasmania. Um, a lot of that knowledge was lost, but it's being put back together from from fragments and from people's cultural knowledge, the Aboriginal people who, who survived in the Bass Strait Islands. And mm. um, we don't know a lot about um, the, the, the law associated with the animal, but we do know from um, historical records that Aboriginal people ate this animal. It was a common part of their, uh, of their food. Um, yeah, it would be... Uh, and And being part of the food being part of the ecosystem, you know the whole natural environment is is mm. I, I think it's so tied together those ideas of of culture and and nature and and food and and, and uh, law
2: yeah and um so you know do, do people still eat them today and they are they a threatened species right they
1: are a threatened species they're listed as as endangered by the um, international uh, or the IUC and the international commission uh, uh, Oh, I've forgotten the IUC- mm-hmm. uh, uh, Conservation of Nature, International Union for the Conservation of Nature, listed as um, uh, endangered on the red list. Yeah. Um, it is threatened. Um, its numbers are declining. Its range is declining. Um, people still eat them. It's been protected for more than 20 years, completely protected. And um, actually just in the last uh, week or so, there was uh, um, the Tasmanian Inland Fisheries put out a press release about a, a prosecution that they've done. Mm. And a guy has been prosecuted and fined um, for uh, illegal fishing and catching and uh, the, the lobster. And unfortunately, I mean, the fine was something like $8,000. Mm. It was, you know, pitiful, a pitiful penalty. And $66 costs. So um, even mm. though it's completely protected, it's still, um, you know, policing and, and law enforcement on, on poaching is, um, mm. you know, an issue.
2: Yeah. And especially if you're a commercial fisherman and you've got a lot of money coming in that yeah. way, thousand dollars probably. I'm,
1: I'm not sure whether this would be commercial. I think this was someone who's just, you know... You know, fishing for eating but still mm-hmm. um, yeah it's it, it, it's it's terrible that you know there's such a minor penalty for for and this was multiple um, cases of 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 um, catching and mm-hmm. eating the lobster
2: okay um, but there's other reasons um, for its um, you know for its listing as being threatened what are some of those other uh, risks to um, to this species
1: well it, it's um, it lives in uh, you know clear, pure water streams in, in the hills of northern Tasmania um, It's so it really needs shade over the water to keep the water cool if the water gets up beyond about 18 degrees it mm-hmm. um, can kill the lobster so forestry and farming you know agricultural practices are the major ones especially forestry so clearing um, streamside vegetation is is clearly bad for the animal. It causes siltation into the streams, and the, the the juvenile lobsters have a real problem with that. In that they hide in amongst the rocks from mm. predators like the platypus or the rakali and if there's a lot of silt in the stream bed, they've got nowhere to hide, and so they're easily predated. So it, it mm. cuts out that next generation.
2: Yeah. Okay. So um, your your research sort of was sparked into action. Uh, because you came across the, um, the Threatened Species Recovery Plan.
1: Yeah, last year, it was the middle of last year that the the, the recovery plan was released um, and that got me interested. I mean, my interest is, is not necessarily my academic interest. It's sort of a bit of a, an intersection of things, mm. um, but it was more a personal interest in, oh, wow, that's great, but there's a plan to to help this animal. And I started reading the plan and talking to various people in Tasmania and it turns out it is just a plan. It's There's no actual funding tied to... Um, the measures listed in the plan so Mm. even though it lists all the things that can be done the modifications of forestry practices and changes to um, agriculture that reduce runoff of um, fertilizers and and silt um, and those sort of things this and and there was a plan to get uh, reserves on private land and protect um, crown land and things like that still none of that's actually got any funding it's just just a pie-in-the-sky plan at the moment
2: Right, and so where would the funding for those sorts of things come from usually do you think well
1: there's, there's funding 's got to come at the state level and at the federal level to protect an animal like this i mean mm. um, then, then you 've got to have commitment from various bodies like like um, forestry Tasmania have to have to um, get on board with changing what they 're doing and protecting these mm. the, the um, the, the, the small streams up in the catchments at the moment—they're they're not protected. Um, they haven't got buffer zones, and they've only got buffer zones on the larger streams. And it's actually those smaller streams where the buffer zones are really important to get that next generation going. Mm. They're a very slow-growing animal. I mean, they can—they take thirteen, fourteen years to get to sexual maturity, and then can live like a human up to seventy, eighty years. And so, if you if you're not protecting that that those juvenile lobsters early on, um, you're cutting off the species at the ground level.
2: Yeah. And then in a, an agency like Forestry Tasmania, or otherwise, they're otherwise known as Sustainable Timbers these oh, days. Yes. Of course, sorry, I, f- I forgot that name. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it just, it's such a, a misnomer. I'm sorry, yes, yeah. that, that is their sus. name. It's very <laughs>
2: sus. Um, so they would have to have an interest in um, protecting old growth forests that uh, line or flank the rivers where some of these species are found. And we know that's not really the case.
1: Mm, no, the cult, the um, the economic imperative is not there for them. I suppose though, you know, forestry generally, especially logging old growth, is is a, is a is a is a bad business deal. It's not making money for anyone. Mm. It's sort of done. I don't know. I don't know why they they still do it. No,
2: and it's a bad deal for the lobsters as no. well, unfortunately.
1: And lobsters, I mean, it's not just about the lobsters. It's a it, it, you protect the habitat of a species like this, wildlife corridors, forest, waterways. Um, you know, you're protecting the whole ecosystem, all the, all the species there, not just not just one.
2: Mm. Yeah. Okay, so um, there's something coming up at uh, your university, Melbourne University, this week on um, National Threatened Species Day on Friday. Um, you've got you've organized a symposium um, can you tell us a bit about that
1: yeah so we've put together a really great program of of, of people to talk about threatened species from all sorts of angles we've got um you know a, a variety we've got three speakers talking about um, the lobster and um, sort of the you know information about it and its name um, we've got uh, uh Someone coming from the uh, the the Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre. We've got um, yourself talking (laughs) about about the Tarkine. Shameless plug. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Um, We've also got a speaker from the law school talking about um, you know the impact of of um, habitat destruction with some social injustice and issues like that. And Mm -hmm. then got a variety of people from around the university talking about what they're doing in. Um, biodiversity threatened species recovery um, biodiversity on campus we 've got all sorts of things happening in, in mm. the in the symposium it 's going to be a great afternoon
2: yeah yeah and uh we'll be i'll i 'll be bringing um the, the giant uh, snuff puppet, Aster Copsis Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you're on campus and you see that um, the giant puppet wandering around, you'll know that you're in the right place to, to get along to that. You won't be able symposium. to miss it.
1: A seven-metre-long um, giant lobster with enormous claws that could cut someone in half. I think I think you'll spot it if you're on campus on, yeah. on Friday.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right, well, thanks very much, Terry, for for joining us. Um, We'll put all those links up on the Dirt Radio website um, when we upload the podcast. Um, So, yeah, so you can find out more more about that. Um, We'll be back after a short uh, community service announcement. 3CR is in the running to receive nearly $100,000 to help us retrofit our station for greater accessibility. That means better handrails, doors, taps, ramps, and more to provide improved access for everyone. But we need your support. Do you live within 5km of the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy? If you do, you're eligible to vote for us. Our project is part of the Victorian State Government's Pick My Project scheme. And you can jump online and vote for 3CR's Community Radio Accessibility Project by going to 3cr.org.au. It's only with your vote that we can receive this important funding to make our station more accessible.
1: This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 855 AM, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change.
2: Right, you're back, or um, well, we're back on 3CR. So, we were just um, listening to uh, Dr. Ter- Terry Mulhern from the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at Melbourne University. Uh, Up next, we have Tessa, Tessa Campsey, um, who studies also at Melbourne University, Mm -hmm. and um, she's supporting conservation efforts to prevent species from becoming extinct in the wild. And uh, she's also doing this work through Friends of the Earth. So good morning, Tessa. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Emma.
0: And what are you you studying at Melbourne University? I study geography and Spanish.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, um... So, firstly, how did you get involved in Friends of the Earth? Was it um, um, yeah. so? Last
0: year, I went to a um, a conference called Students of Sustainability, which is run by the Australian Student Environmental Network. Um, and so, I went to a workshop run by um, uh, Ed Hill, who is from Gecko. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they're throwing in a lot of things there. Um, about the deforestation um, happening in Victoria. And it just sort of blew my mind because I spend a lot of time out in the forest. Um, I've always loved going hiking, going camping, and um, the way you feel so small when you're surrounded by all these incredibly old trees and the fact that we could just rip these out of the ground um, was quite confronting. And so, yeah, that from then I started getting involved with the Forest Collective.
2: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and so you've, uh, through some of your research, you mentioned a paper that you'd read recently. Can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Yeah, um, so David Lindemeyer from um, the Australian National University um, recently published a paper um, showing how if we continue logging our, our mountain ash forests, which are these incredible forests that we have here in Victoria, um, the most carbon-dense forests in the world, they they're on the brink of ecosystem collapse so they are at risk of going extinct um which really um kind of touched me deeply because it's not just one species going extinct it's this whole forest ecosystem just disappearing um
2: yeah mm. Um, so, so what are some of the the current forest conservation efforts at the moment? I understand there's um, there's currently a blockade happening on the sou- southern slopes of Mount Bauble. Yeah. So
0: over the weekend, about ten forest conservationists um, set up a blockade to stop some of some really high value forest in, on Mount Baur-Baur, um from being logged. So um, there'd been some surveys there, and they found some greater gliders, a koala, some yellow bellied gl- um, gliders. Um, yeah, and so. In this area, I've I've been in this area myself um, recently, and so they found a quoll there um, in the Mount Buller area quite recently, and so there's been like a special protection protection zone set up, but it's really quite insufficient. Um, so. Um, Quolls have an extraordinary large range um, of a home range of about 5,000 hectares and can travel like over six kilometres in one night, mm-hmm. except when a quoll is found, they have to put a special protection zone there, mm-hmm. which um, stops logging from happening in that area. Um, but it's only, it's only about um, uh, 500 hectares, which is nowhere near sufficient. And, um, yeah, so you can log... You can log 500 hectares from wherever this quoll was found, um,
2: which is just ridiculous. So mm-hmm.
0: this is why this blockade is being set up to, um,
2: yeah, protect this habitat. Yeah. And so um, so so has so the quoll was found, but people are taking community action to set up a blockade. So what happens when that quoll was found? Shouldn't there be a protection there already? Yeah, it, it was verified, wasn't it? It was a verified sighting. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was a verified sighting. Um, and the funny thing is that, you know, it was celebrated in the media by, by Vic Forest, which is the Victorian forestry body. Um, and they were celebrating it because they like, oh, this shows that our management um, allows these native species to continue living in these areas that they log. But, mm. like, if that was true, why would they continue logging just two kilometres from where this quoll was found? Mm. Um, yeah, so... Um, that, this is why we 're agitating for the creation of a great forest national park, mm-hmm. which is this plan to um, to sort of create a connection between all the national parks that already exist in the central highlands um, yeah, so the state forests that exist between them can currently be logged and if we uh, collect this all together in a national park it'll yeah protect protect these areas
2: mm. um, so can you tell us a bit about what the um, what the action? Uh, the blockade is seeking to highlight it 's uh three months until the next state election so mm. um what are they calling for specifically um so they're calling for
0: greater action to um to greater protection for threatened species and a reform in the logging industry um because it's just it just decimates our forests um and often um uh is involved in a lot of illegal um illegal activities, so logging stream buffers or, like, I remember, so I was recently in Mount Borbore and um, they mark trees with an H for mm-hmm. habitat, which is the ones they're not supposed to knock over. But as they're driving the machinery through, it gets knocked over anyway. So you can see these incredible, like, trees with... with um with uh hollows for like which native species such as greater gliders and leadbeater's possums live in. Um but they're just falling over anyway. It's like it's not it's unregulated and so they really want the department, um, of environment, um, land, water and ooh, what's the P stand for? It's gone. Um um to to start holding Rick Forest accountable and for yeah, greater political action.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's there's something coming up on Sunday as far as political action goes. Mm. If people can't don't don't necessarily want to go to a blockade or something like that, um, what can they do here in Melbourne?
0: Um, so this Sunday, um, Friends of the Earth, uh, Gecko, and the Wilderness Society are putting on a Parliament of the Parliament, a Threatened Species Parliament. Um, so because our threatened species um, don't have voices which can be heard in Parliament, um, we are speaking for them. Um, so essentially it's going to be a little bit theatrical. We're going to have um, um, people coming and representing um, our 88 politicians. So they'll have little masks and they'll also be allocated a um, threatened species. And so we're going to be delivering a bill against extinction mm-hmm. um, to yeah, so pro- providing a platform for these animals to actually have a voice in our parliament. I'm not actually going into parliament; it'll be in Treasury Gardens. But um, mm. yeah, it'll there'll be music, masks. yeah, it'll be a good time. Okay, great. Um, yeah, it sounds like mm. a
2: very theatrical um, blend of of activism and art, mm. and that should be pretty fun to get along to.
0: We're trying to decide which politician to uh, allocate the cockroach. And okay, I have quite a few, uh, which I reckon <laughs> deserve that. <laughs>
2: All right. Well we'll certainly um again put that information of uh for the threatened species parliament up on the Dirt Radio website. But um that's pretty much it for the show this week. Um unless there's anything else you wanted to add? Um
0: yeah, so um just um with the recent in, in the Mount Bauble area that mm-hmm. they uh there's currently the blockade in, um so they found some greater gliders and so they've been in the media a little bit recently mm-hmm. um because there was an experiment conducted um, by mm. Vic Forest, which um essentially was the, it's been um it's been compared to scientific whaling. So they go into the forest and they log it and see how many greater gliders survive. Um and so it's not logged to the same extent that um Clearfell or the um like is do, is done um, normally in practice, but so it's maybe sixty to 80 percent intensity. Um and then if they continue to find greater gliders in there afterwards um, they'll be like, "Oh, this shows that the greater gliders can survive logging, and so that means that they can get into um, into these um, areas with special protection zones or special management zones um, and log those too." So mm. it's totally abhorrent, um, and yeah, we really need greater protections for our threatened species. So in East Gippsland, for example, mm-hmm. if you find uh, eleven um, greater gliders within one kilometer. Um, you can get a special protection zone of, I think it's about 200 um, hectares um, over that area. Um, but if you only find ten, no, it doesn't count those those great gliders. Yeah, go ahead, log them, kill them, it doesn't matter. Um, in, uh, in the central highlands, which is you know one hour out of Nam um, or Melbourne, um, we we have nothing. We have nothing for great gliders. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's totally insufficient.
2: Mm. Yeah. So, and really, it comes down to the political will and and community pressure to, um, to make enough noise and create enough heat for those politicians that have the decision of of putting protections in place to, um, you know, to really just keep the pressure on. And I think the event on Sunday is a good opportunity for people to do that mm-hmm. and have um have the voices of these species heard. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Um. So I guess in short, put simply. Um, extinction of species should should not be tolerated, not now and not ever. Um, so please come along to one of the events um, on National Threatened Species Day, either at the Uni, Melbourne Uni, or uh, at Treasury Gardens on Sunday. And all that information will be on the Dirt Radio uh, website and podcast.